Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast. Hi, I'm Cindy, and thank you so much for joining today. I'm really excited about today's topic, which is the first in a series on self-doubt and therapists. Before we dive in, I just want to remind you about the framework of the three qualities that are so essential to who we are as heart-centered therapists, and they are being, belonging, and becoming. And of course, these are also the three qualities that I want to help provide for you as part of this podcast, a way for us to really strengthen our identity, our connection, and our growth. So today, we're going to look at the role that self-doubt plays in being. We'll explore later the role of self-doubt in belonging and becoming. Why are we talking about self-doubt? Everybody is talking about it. It's pervasive. In fact, it's even a trendy topic. And we hear all the time what to do, how to use self-compassion, change our limiting beliefs, not compare ourselves to others as ways to overcome self-doubt. Let's start with what is it? What is self-doubt? Self-doubt is a lack of confidence regarding yourself and your abilities. It's a mindset that holds you back from succeeding and believing in yourself. In short, it causes you either to not start something or to quit. We often equate self-doubt to imposter syndrome, feeling like a fraud, feeling undeserving. It can manifest as self-sabotage or undermining yourself. Or self-doubt can show up when we're indecisive stuck in analysis paralysis and unable to make a decision. All of that's pretty familiar. And now let's really hone it down to self-doubt and therapists. So there was a study in 2015 by Neeson Lee that showed that therapists who expressed high levels of self-doubt and who were generally loving with themselves were the most effective. The authors titled this article, Love yourself as a person, doubt yourself as a therapist. Isn't that incredible? That's exactly why we're talking about this. Who would have thought, right? Love yourself as a person. Those therapists who are generally loving with themselves and actually express self-doubt were most effective. So what does this mean? This is a whole new way for us to think about self-doubt. It means if you can doubt yourself in a healthy way that is curious and reflective rather than self-critical, we're onto something, that this will help you to be more effective as a therapist. So it's really important for us to look at the difference between self-doubt and self-criticism. I think sometimes we confuse them. I know I do, and they're not the same. Self-doubt is about being gentle, curious, open, kind, questioning, and growth-oriented. Self-criticism we know far better. We work with it every day. Most of our clients experience it. Many of us experience it. Self-criticism is saying, I'm a failure. It's that harsh inner voice. It's cold. It's unaccepting. 
very, very different than those characteristics of self-doubt. Gentle, curious, open, kind, questioning. You can just hear the rhythm. It's so different from failure, harsh in her voice, cold and accepting. So one of my friends has a great way. She describes self-criticism, which is that itty bitty shitty committee that sits on your shoulder. And of course she says, imagine if you could just flick it away with like a little flick of your fingers. But here's the thing. When you can experience self-doubt and be compassionate and loving toward yourself, the studies show that you're going to be more effective as a therapist. And as a heart-centered therapist, we all want that. We want to be more effective. So first, let's take a look at the role that self-doubt plays in our notion of being, in our identity. Often, as we know, it takes that form of imposter syndrome, feeling like a fraud, feeling incompetent, not good enough. And as we look at these examples I'm going to share, talk about today, you'll start to see how self-doubt morphs into that self-criticism almost automatically. So how does this impact us as therapists? Lots of ways. Maybe you're working with a client and your inner monologue is filled with thoughts like, I'm going to be found out. They'll find out that I'm not that experienced or I'm not that skilled. They will see right through this technique or they'll realize that I don't really know what I'm saying or doing. Or have you ever done this, had to actually refer to your notes when you're trying some new intervention? Honestly, I've got to say that is one of the really positive things about telehealth It's so much easier to refer to a cheat sheet while you're working with a client. Just have it on the side of your desk. For instance, I do a lot of couples work. That's my primary specialty. And sometimes I need to refer to my notes to reflect their cycle back to them, to help explain their conflict cycle. And I'll tell you what I say. This is what I say to them. This is really important. And I want to make sure I really understand each of your moves and what's happening for you so I can help you and your partner get it too. The couple wants the help far more than they want a perfect therapist, but somehow we have this notion that we have to sit in our chair and do it perfectly. Here's another great example of when we start to experience self-doubt and imposter syndrome. A client pays you out of pocket, your full rate, and you wonder, "Mm, did I do a good enough job? Was that session really worth it? Am I deserving? How many of you have thought that? I think we are all in the same boat here. Do you hear how that self-doubt subtly turned into self-criticism related to your worth and the money story you have? I think our sense of being as therapists can even come into question in the way we identify ourselves as professionals. Do you ever question how you're going to introduce yourself? You could say, I'm a therapist. I'm a psychotherapist, I'm a psychologist, I'm a counselor, I'm a mental health counselor, I'm a clinical counselor, I'm a school counselor, I'm a social worker, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Maybe you have a different response based on the setting. But let me ask you this, do you ever say, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business owner, I'm a CEO of a small business, when really that's also a central part of your identity? I would say that's another way that self-doubt might impact your therapist identity. Our personal issues can also cause self-doubt to creep into our work as therapists. When we experience life stress, like the death of a loved one, 
going through a divorce, experiencing a trauma, illness, family conflict, caregiving responsibilities. Maybe you're not well, or you're really just struggling with something, or financial woes, marital conflict, being lonely and single, you name it. Whatever it is, these personal issues can start creating self-doubt, and then they impact our ability to be present. We start to question if we can even help during these times. How can I sit here and help somebody? Can I even keep it together in session? Because in the back of my head, I'm so worried about all these things. These thoughts start to turn into self-criticism and wreak havoc with our work and our identity. So our therapeutic capacity then gets diminished with our personal stress. You know, it's that burnout when we get overwhelmed, that feeling of I've got nothing left. I can't do it. And that's our signal. Those are the emergency flashers that we turn on when the traffic ahead of us starts slowing to a crawl, telling us, hey, you've got to slow down too. We have got to be able to replenish or recharge the empathy and compassion within ourselves, right? Because just like that study I mentioned says, we need to be loving toward ourselves in order to become more effective therapists. And we can't give to others if we're not adequately taking care of our emotional and physical needs. So that's part of how self-doubt manifests in our personal issues and our therapeutic capacity. Another way is through anxiety. And anxiety can crop up in so many ways for a therapist, from not feeling prepared for a session or for the day, to basically worrying and overthinking what you say or do. Maybe you start wondering, how is my client perceiving me? What are they thinking about my clothes or my age or my office, how I look or what I'm doing? Or here's another one. When you get stuck in session or when you start to get anxious because, yep, there's too much silence, it's taking too long, or it feels like forever until your client says something. Next thing you know, you're caught in that comparison thought loop of, would they be better working with somebody else? They should see a more experienced therapist. Oh, right. They need a therapist. Maybe I should refer them to someone who specializes in, you name it, EMDR, IFS, ADP, and so on. Do you hear how self-criticism really starts to overtake self-doubt? What about when you hesitate to actually try an intervention? That, my friend, is anxiety too. It's not the intervention per se, because we can view much of therapy as little experiments that we put out there, and if one doesn't work or it's too much, we downgrade it and try something else. But it's the feeling of hesitation, the overthinking of what if I do this and it doesn't land well, or I get it wrong, or it flops. That sells us short to our clients. This is why we're talking about this today. It's so important to bring our best selves as therapists into the room and serving our clients. That self-doubt of anxiety starts to take over what should be your calm and attuned therapist brain. And you're stuck thinking, am I doing it right? Am I good enough? Could I be better? And all of a sudden you have popped out of the session, right? You are away. You're not present with the client in the room anymore, right? Instead, you're in your head with all of these self-doubts, these self-criticisms. 
And in these examples, we're also really, really missing compassion and acceptance for ourselves. We're missing our own heart center, which we really need in order to embrace our full sense of being as therapists and humans. Another really important way that self-doubt comes up is when our role and function as the therapist relationally starts to slip and we get lost in techniques and interventions. So we start losing our relational grasp with the client in favor of techniques and interventions. And this being or identity part for the therapist is to really watch out for losing this part of yourself in the skills and techniques because you need to be able to access that whole part of you, including your humanness as a therapist. You might lose touch with your heart and your intuition by over-focusing on techniques or losing touch with the intimate presence and unfolding that's happening between you and the client. You start risking losing the sensitivity and attention with the client. So this is what it looks like. What am I saying here? You get really focused on, am I going to nail this technique? Am I going to lay out this intervention super well with whatever modality you're using, right? You don't want to miss a step. You want to make sure you say this and then that. You want to ask the right kinds of questions like, oh no, I just asked a closed question. How many of you have ever been in like a motivational interviewing training and you're supposed to really ask these beautiful open-ended questions and ask deeper reflections and then oops out of your mouth comes a closed question here's another one maybe you really want to do a beautiful guided meditation and you don't want to mess up i've been there and i've messed up but here's the thing when we get caught up in the technique and technical part we lose touch with our wholeness where our being and our intuition lie and in short what I'm saying is we overfocus on technique because of self-doubt. Technique is important. Please don't misunderstand me. Our interventions are important. Our modalities and approaches are so important. But I just am cautioning you to not lose that wholeness, not lose your connection with intuition, and don't lose touch with that unfolding and the presence that happens with you and your client. All of this is connected to trusting ourselves, our gut feelings, and our ability to stay present and attentive with our clients. So here's a big question for you. What if you imagined being more open, more open-minded to the idea that you could make some mistakes and have compassion for yourself? That's what we're talking about here. And I want to give you some strategies that we can use to help us with self-doubt reducing this self-criticism, and increasing our self-compassion, all within the context of being. Let's go back to that study. Remember the title? Love yourself as a person. Doubt yourself as a therapist. So what that means is we need to fill our buckets of self-compassion, plug any leaky holes, and really nurture our self-love. We need healthy self-doubt. That's how we're going to start to cultivate this curiosity and growth. For us and for our clients, everything we do, we're also modeling for them. So when we make mistakes and we don't know something, all of a sudden we're modeling it for our clients. They see us handling a mistake or repairing something with them. And they may never have experienced repair in a relationship. 
we do that with them. It's a huge learning experience for everyone. And it's a real gift for our clients. Most of our clients struggle with self-criticism, negative thoughts, and self-loathing. So imagine when they see you respond in a kind way to something you didn't know or to an intervention that flopped. We model humility and curiosity. And so imagine if we make a mistake and acknowledge it, all of a sudden they see a different way to handle their own humanness. And I think that's when you start changing self-criticism into a much more productive self-doubt. Now you're modeling kindness, compassion, and it's truly a gift when you as a heart-centered therapist have love for yourself so then you can really make a difference for others. That's why it's very important you're teaching your clients how they could have compassion for themselves. So our first strategy is cultivating self-compassion. And our second strategy is bolstering our therapeutic capacity. Of course, they're related. We need to meet our needs holistically, mind, body, spirit, heart, to protect against burnout. Bolstering our therapeutic capacity is all about adequate self-care. You've got to ask yourself what you need emotionally, physically, intellectually, and spiritually to feel more up to par, more satisfied. I've personally come to view this notion of self-care and self-support like a divine mandate. And honestly, that's helped me so much to put the effort in to care for myself. When you can start to see self-care as a way of honoring, whether you believe in anything holy or not, Then self-care becomes part of your spiritual practice, which is so necessary for you to serve others, for you to serve from your heart. And the third strategy, which is also really important, is about reflection and self-inquiry. So that's ultimately what the being or identity piece comes down to. Self-inquiry is a practice. Some might even call it a spiritual practice of looking within yourself and asking yourself, good questions to help you find your edge or your personal unknown. I love this concept of the personal unknown, that place where you still have something to learn about yourself. That's the edge. A psychologist who really dives deep into this topic is Jason Luoma, and his teachings are about how we can do self-reflection or self-inquiry to get to our edge. And of course, self-reflection is nothing new to therapists. We're required to do it in grad school, but it's often pretty hard to keep up with that once our assignments end. What we might do now is self-reflect through journaling or even through our process notes. So lastly, I want to share with you a quick five or six step process created by Jason Luoma, which is actually really cool. I mean, you can do your own self-reflection, whatever it takes, but this little formula is really a great way to start. And so here's a guide to the self-inquiry process that you might consider. Five steps. Number one, set aside five minutes with a pen and paper, your self-inquiry journal, uh, the notes on your phone. Number two, think of a recent encounter with a client that created some discomfort within you. Or maybe it was a supervision session that felt upsetting. You want to choose something that you have an urge to avoid or to not think about, something you really don't want to look at. 
Okay. That's the discomfort piece. Step three, record your experience, your senses. What did you feel? What went through your mind? What did you notice in your body? Just like we ask our clients, let us know if you had any thoughts, feelings, or sensations that came up. That's what you record about this recent encounter that created some discomfort within you. Number four, step four, this is the big part, is to ask yourself a, quotes good question. What's a good question? A good question, according to Luama, is one that lets you get closer to your personal unknown, to that edge. A good question is going to make you feel uncomfortable. His examples of some good questions are, what do I need to learn? What is my resistance telling me? Or what is my ambivalence telling me? What is my body tension telling me? What is keeping me from being open to feedback? Basically, good questions will keep you feeling uncomfortable. Step five, you ask yourself a question, you answer it, you write it down, and see if it moves you closer to that edge, closer to that place where you're learning about yourself. If it doesn't, ask another question. If you feel like you're moving further away and you're not so uncomfortable, then you want to get uncomfortable again. It's really a mindfulness skill that we're practicing to approach our growing edge. And it's not so unfamiliar to the kind of therapy we do when we are challenging or gently confronting our client. Instead, we're doing this with ourselves. So the last step, the sixth step, is to just move back and forth between asking good questions and seeing what emerges. And the only way this gives you information is when your mindset is to be curious, kind, and open. And in a way, this is a beautiful parallel process for also doing some reflection with your clients. And here we are. We've come full circle back to exploring self-doubt with that curiosity and kindness to cultivating compassion and love for ourselves, all in the service of becoming better therapists and better human beings. And that's my goal for you, to have less self-criticism, more healthy self-doubt, and more love for yourself. It's the essence of being a heart-centered therapist, and it's a practice we can commit to in our personal and professional lives. So in keeping with this theme of being open and curious, I would love your feedback. I'd love to know what was helpful, what resonated for you about this podcast, what you're left wanting more of. Reach out to me on social. All the links are in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks so much and see you soon. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.